0: This is the second podcast in a series of podcasts on Paul and his writings in the New Testament. In the last podcast, I explained why it's so difficult to understand Paul. Now, you might think, oh, I know Paul, but my guess is if that is the case, you probably have just been taught a theology about Paul, and you've taken that in and thinking, that's what Paul said. I have found that perhaps most of the theologies about Paul have problems. (laughs) And the reason I draw this conclusion is because my journey to really understand the Apostle Paul began when I was working on a dissertation on my PhD, and I was intrigued by Galatians 4.24, where Paul said, I speak these things allegorically. And then... What follows is clearly anti-Semitic. And that portion of Scripture in Galatians four twenty four to 28, has been used by people to say that, you know, Jews are not saved unless they believe in Yeshua. And there's all kinds of stuff that is not correct. Because I worked hard to understand what Paul meant by speaking allegorically And then after I finished that work on my dissertation, I just continued. I was just so fascinated with Paul. I continued uh, working on him and then became very interested in his use of methods of midrash to draw out deeper meaning from the Hebrew scriptures. And that is something that I think very, very few scholars have seen. I'm fascinated by what I've seen, and I just kept continuing to work on Paul. The more I worked, the the closer I I began to feel that I began to know him, and that is why I'm sharing this with you in these podcasts. So in this particular podcast, I want you to start to get to know Paul. We, We have some information in Scripture, which I'll share with you in just a minute, but I will also expand that biblical information by offering geographic and cultural information for Israel at the time of Paul. So let's start with what we know from Scripture. We first meet Paul at the time that Stephen was stoned to death in Jerusalem. At that time, he was known by his Hebrew name, Sha'ul. Sha'ul is, in English we say Saul, was the name of Israel's first king. And apparently, Shaul came from a very observant family of Jews who lived in Tarsus, is is on the southern coast of what is today Turkey. So he was brought up in a very observant atmosphere. His name was Shaul. It didn't get changed to Paul until he accepted Yeshua as the Messiah and became a missionary to the Gentiles, and then he changed his name to Paul, which is the English translation of Paulos. Paulos is the Koine Greek name. By the way, the reason that he has the name Paulos <laughs> is that Koine Greek was spoken throughout the Roman Empire in the marketplace. It was a universal language throughout the Roman Empire. So wherever he went, he could speak that Koine Greek and people would would understand him. We first meet Paul then at the time that Stephen was accused of speaking blasphemous words against Moses, against God, the temple, and the law. If found guilty, Stephen would receive the death penalty. So in Acts, we read that Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. The fact that Stephen is making this huge impression upon the people and would have been very popular among the people. Now, I want you to keep this in mind, that the people thought he was absolutely wonderful. And this was probably why the leaders were so eager to take action against him, because the people were being drawn away from their leadership role and were taken by the teaching of Stephen. And then Acts continues, but some men from what was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen rose up and argued with Stephen. It centers on a community, the community of the family, the community of the village. The community probably would have worked very hard to raise the money to purchase these slaves out of slavery and bring them back to their village. So these were freedmen. And my guess is that they wanted to show to the leadership of Judaism that they were true Jews. you know. They, so they took this position against Sha'ul. And then we read that these freedmen secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, now listen to this, this next part. They stirred up the people... The elders and the scribes. Now, the elders and the scribes represent the leadership. But what is so astounding is that the people could be taken in by these accusations, which we'll see in just a minute were false accusations. They were lies. Yet the people were taken in. And I'm reminded today of how easily people are taken in and people no longer take the time to really look at facts because that takes work and they're taken in by these emotional things that they hear. And the people who had been so taken with Stephen and following Stephen now are swayed against him. And so the the people, the elders and the scribes, came up to Stephen and dragged him away and brought him before the council. The council would have been the uh, Sanhedrin, which was like a high supreme court of Judaism. The Sanhedrin was made up mostly of Sadducees, but some Pharisees. The Sadducees were very conservative. They believed that only the Torah, the first five books of of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, were inspired. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed not only that The prophets and the writings, the other books of the Old Testament, were inspired. They were a commentary. So the prophets and the writings were a commentary on the Torah. So the Pharisees believed that they could uncover more commentary with methods of Midrash. That was the Pharisees who did this. The Sadducees were the conservative ones, and what's important to know is that the Sadducees were aligned with the Roman authorities. They had government positions. They made up most of the members of the Sanhedrin, but not all. There were some Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, including Paul's teacher, uh, Gamliel, was a Pharisee, and he was in the, the Sanhedrin. Acts continues, They put forward false witnesses, this lying is so contrary to God. And yet these false witnesses were believed. You know, that people were taken in. They believed these false witnesses. The false witnesses said, and this is in Acts again, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. Holy place meaning the temple. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, Will destroy the temple and alter the customs. Now, Yeshua did prophesy that the temple would be destroyed, but he wasn't the one who was going to do it. He was saying this is something that God was going to do, which in fact happened. And in terms of altering customs, Yeshua had compassion on the people. And we see that, for example, in the law to do no work on the Sabbath, and yet he healed a person on the Sabbath because. God finds that life is more important than observance of the Sabbath. And healing a person to full life was more important than doing no work on the Sabbath. So these were the accusations, and they were lies. And the members of the Sanhedrin now have to make a decision whether the accusations against Stephen, whether to declare him guilty or innocent. So fixing their gaze on him, we read in Acts, all who were sitting in the council, the Sanhedrin, saw Stephen's face like the face of an angel. So they they realized that Stephen was a very godly person. That sense of godliness comes from inside and it shows on the face. I mean, I, I've experienced that and that's what they were seeing. They were seeing that, that Stephen was a very godly person they had to hear Stephen's side of the argument. And the high priest, who would have been the head of the Sanhedrin, said to Stephen, are these things so? These accusations against you, are they correct? Now, what follows, and I'm not going to to read it, is a very lengthy discourse by Stephen talking about the Hebrew scriptures. And He clearly knew the Hebrew scriptures well, and he he recalled the what the the Hebrew scriptures were saying in a way that glorified God. So at this point, they can't find him guilty. He's a godly man. He's expressing the Hebrew scriptures and glorifying God. But then, at the very end of his discourse, this is what he said: "You men." Who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Whoa, This, this was quite an accusation that I'm sure angered the members of the Sanhedrin. The symbolic nature of circumcision is to cut away the flesh. The flesh represents the things of this world. So what you're doing is symbolically you're becoming holy. So if they are uncircumcised in heart, then they're still doing things that are contrary to God. And then Stephen continued, (laughs) he wasn't finished yet, you are doing just as your fathers did, which one of the prophets did your fathers persecute? I find this interesting because... Yeshua tells us that if we dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord Yeshua and walking in God's ways, we will be persecuted. What Stephen is saying is that the prophets in the Old Testament times were persecuted because they were speaking the truth. And your ancestors persecuted them because they were not accepting the truth of God. They were not aligning with the truth of God. They were persecuting those who were speaking the truth of God. If that isn't enough, Stephen continues, they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. He's accusing the members of the Sanhedrin of murder. (laughs) Can you imagine the reaction of the the members of the Sanhedrin? And finally, he said, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep the law. These are just incredible accusations against the members of the Sanhedrin, and you can imagine what the verdict was. The verdict was guilty. Now Paul enters the story. We learn in Acts chapter 7 the witnesses who brought accusations against Stephen, which led to a penalty of death, they laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Sha'ul. Now, let me explain first about laying aside their robes. You know, I never stopped to think about that, and I, I had to do a little bit of work to understand what it was. The law required that witnesses should be the first to cast stones for any death sentence. And apparently these witnesses threw aside their loose flowing outer garment to be able to launch the stones with enough force to contribute to Stephen's death. The fact that these witnesses laid their robes at the feet of Saul tells us that Saul, that's his name before he became Paul, Saul was in one with the leaders who had condemned Stephen to death. Only the high court of Judaism had the power to inflict such a punishment. So Saul was apparently working with or under the direction of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. His Hebrew name was Shaul, and I think I need to call him (laughs) Shaul. His name had not yet been changed to Paul. He was a fanatic in his uncompromising pursuit of adhering to the law, which today we call legalism. Now, I think that term legalism is important for you to understand because there's a lot of legalism in our, uh, you know, among people who are Christians today. Legalism, you have a very narrow perspective of your interpretation of the law and you want to enforce it on others you're so convinced that you're right, you won't even consider anything else, and then you are you judge others because they don't have your legalistic concept of the interpretation. And just so that you're interested, Yeshua, Yeshua was not legalistic. He was very compassionate. So this compassion is not true of Sha'ul, who was very legalistic in his interpretation of the law. Stephen had been accused of speaking blasphemous words against Moses, against God, the temple, and the law, not necessarily because his words contradicted the law of God, but because they opposed the traditions of the Pharisees. And So the traditions were the interpretation by the Pharisees, and again, the Pharisees were more liberal than the Sadducees because of their Midrash, and they were pulling out this, you know, deeper meaning. But still, whatever they determined was their interpretation, they became somewhat legalistic about it. And Stephen was opposing these interpretations of the Pharisees. Paul tells us, or Shaul tells us that he was a Pharisee. At the time of stoning Stephen, we learn about Shaul's zealous legalism because we are told that Sha'ul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Now the word translated hearty agreement is just one Greek word that means to join together with others who would have been those condemning Stephen, members of the Sanhedrin. So Sha'ul, you know, was in agreement with the Sanhedrin to uh, put Stephen to death. Now, I want to spend just a little bit more time talking about Paul's obsessive legalism. I really think this is important because I see a lot of it occurring in in our country today. We know that Paul was sent by his family, who lived in what is today the southeast coast of Turkey, to Jerusalem, where he could study in the school of the great Jewish sage of the time, whom the Talmud calls Gamliel the Elder. One had to be accepted into this stigious school of Jewish learning. So this tells us that uh, Paul, he's Shaul at this point, Shaul was an exceptionally bright student. He must then have risen to a prominent position within the school of Gamliel, and certainly in the eyes of Gamliel, whose membership in the Sanhedrin may have been responsible for Paul or Shaul acquiring some position in that Supreme Court of Judaism. What do we know about Sha'ul before Yeshua confronted him on the road to Damascus? We know that Sha'ul was extremely bright and knowledgeable in the law. And especially in an ability to penetrate a depth of understanding through methods of Midrash. Because he tells us he was a Pharisee and that was who developed these methods of Midrash to draw this deeper meaning from Scripture. Now this is important because we're going to learn. And what I discovered in Paul's writing is that he's using these methods of Midrash to draw from the Hebrew Scriptures questions that he had. Uh, with the the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, you know, who exactly is, is Yeshua? What does it mean that these Goyim, these Gentiles, are speaking in tongues when they don't even know the law, and, you know, and they're doing these miracles? What's going on? You know, he had an ability to penetrate a depth of understanding through methods of Midrash, which he learned because he was a Pharisee, and going to the school of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was also a Pharisee. All of this he learned in the school of the great Pharisee sage Gamaliel. I want you to stop now and think of people you know who are passionately narrow and legalistic in their approach to God's word. I suggest this applies to such modern matters as divorce, suicide, how to deal with homosexuals and immigrants, the raising of children who will be allowed to participate in a church, and who will be excluded from membership. Of course, there are also squabbles about interpretation that have led to what a recent survey found to be over- 45,000 different Christian denominations. But what I want you really to focus on is the concept of legalism and think to yourself about people who are passionately narrow and legalistic in their approach to God's word because I don't want you to be legalistic. What happens is that Paul did not remain legalistic, nor should we. After Yeshua encountered him on the road to Damascus, Paul began a major change in his approach to God's word and God's people, which took him several years to accomplish. But that will be the story for our next podcast.